Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Saw 4. <laughs> Hello everybody. We are we are we are returning to the Saw franchise continuing our exhausted uh, exhausted Exhaustive. Exhausted, yes. <laughs> retrospective of one of the biggest post-2000s horror franchises of all time. We are up to Saw 4. And and brace yourself. Like, strap in, everybody. This is going to be a bad time for everyone. Indeed. I So I was thinking about this a lot, right? Like, is this the worst movie we've talked about? And I, I have come to the conclusion that no, it, it is not. It is not the worst movie. Darren Aronofsky, um, I know you're listening, you absolute coward. This is better than your films. Um, I will play Saw 4 before any Aronofsky title. Um, <laughs> however, Saw 4 is... It needs our help. <laughs> it's like I see this, I think about the, my memory of watching this movie. And I'm and I just and I'm just like I I see this movie as like a lost child in a shopping center. I I just want to be like, oh, are you okay? Can I help you? Like, let's okay, let's let's find your mommy. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because you know, I, I I said this to you before we uh, well, while we were prepping for this episode, which is like we can get around the the film criticism barrel and shoot some fish, but uh, we 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 also need to kind of do some diagnosis here, right? We need to we need to sort of expose the root of the problem a little bit so w welcome everybody to the section of the show called how not to write the fourth film in your long-running and incredibly <laughs> profitable film franchise so so come on ash let, let us diagnose what is wrong with this film well okay so the first thing um this isn't in order in our notes but the absolute first thing that we need to talk about is when you're making the fourth movie in your long-running incredibly profitable horror franchise that is redefining the genre as you make these films, do not make your fourth movie a clip show of your third movie. That is a class. That's one of the classic blunders. Yeah, classic mistake. Uh, you maybe maybe what you want to do is you want to try and widen the scope of the story, right? Maybe <laughs> because because that way you could introduce a, a new audience who doesn't necessarily have had to have seen everything that came before it to make sense of what's going on on screen. Oh, slow down there, Orson Welles. Uh, I know. Uh, thankfully, the geniuses who wrote this script decided to go in completely the opposite direction to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, this this movie, I mean, there are good things. We'll, we'll get into the good thing in, in just a bit. But this movie is kind of a... The, the analogy that we brought up earlier is this is like a boring train wreck. This, this is like a train that just like quietly coasts to a stop and then you're all stuck on the train waiting three hours for anything to happen and no one really knows what's going on. And then you just kind of start again and you wind up at your destination just fine, but you wasted part of your day and you're kind of frustrated. That's that's software. And there are aesthetic problems as well. Um, the, the color grading in this is genuinely yes. awful. This film looks... Um, it's not the worst film, but it, I think it honestly looks just painfully cheap. Well, it looks like so um, if, if, if you're out there in listener land and you happen to own an iPhone uh, made by this little company called Apple, 
there, there's a filter in your photos called uh, dramatic cool. Now, now imagine a ultra gory, violent movie about a, a Tobin Bell who's trapping people in barbed wire, and it's all in dramatic cool. It's so cheap looking. Um, do, do you know what? 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 Here's one other suggestion. Just going to toss this one out. You know what else you probably shouldn't do if you're filming the fourth in your long running and incredibly pro- profitable horror franchise? You probably What's that? Sh- you probably shouldn't. Uh, film it in, do principal photography for the film in just about two weeks because you want to go off and do the big passion project you've been excited about for years, leaving your editors with literally nothing to work with so that they have to cut out even the little that you did film in order to make a coherent film. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just just a thought. Maybe don't do that. Uh, the, don't... the editing team behind Saw 4 needs to win some kind of medal for like surviving this experience. Yeah, it's this is like editing as trauma surgery. You know, it's like <laughs> let's just let's just try and stitch this together as best we can. Right. I mean, it definitely it it has the vibe of being a salvage operation. A hundred percent. So they get the movie and then they're like, okay, like sixty percent of this can be retained. What? How can we rebuild? <laughs> Yeah. Um, is, 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 so is are we saying then that Saw 4 is the Saw ship of Theseus? Yeah. <laughs> How yeah. much Saw can you take away from Saw 4 before it is no longer Saw 4? Discuss. Uh, yeah, before it just becomes like a, a shit episode of Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, one other gripe that I think I have to get out of the way before we before we talk about that. Uh, the the rest of the film in more detail is, as I say, principal photography on this took two weeks, um, and what happened is, like if, if you if you have a ninety minute feature, and you shoot ninety minutes or you shoot let's say a hundred minutes of, of of footage, your editors are going to have to desperately chop to make things hang together because there isn't enough headroom in what you've shot to give them work, room in the edit to work. The other thing that will happen, and the thing that really bugs me about this film, is let's say lines get flubbed, or maybe the sound isn't quite right on certain lines, and you don't have time to reshoot anymore, you'll have to do um, ADR, uh, Automated Dialogue Replacement, where you re-record the lines, and then kind of patch that in later. And so much of the dialogue in this is, is just like... The room levels of ADR. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just awful. Ooh, okay. The room, but with Jigsaw, is is another brilliant movie concept that does not happen inside of Saw Four. With 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 that out of the way, with that with our kind of like, here are the, here are your big problems. Let's get into the let's get into the viscera of this film. Where where would you like to start with the discourse? Uh, so I guess the first thing I want to say is that despite how incredibly bad Saw 4 is, um, this this was the first movie where I like finally got Saw. Mm-hmm. You know, for the longest time, I've never really understood these Saw movies. And now like like watching this, so there's like an opening 75 minutes of this movie is Tobin Bell doing a tasteful full frontal nude playing his own <laughs> corpse lying on an operating table. And then we have two autopsy technicians who just perform the autopsy on Tobin Bell. It's it's kind of like a discount the act of seeing with one's own eyes. Mm-hmm. And like for for a second, I was like, "Ooh, okay." Like, look at those effects. That's gross. 
And then like around the third day of watching this scene, I, I was just like, oh, I get it. I get Saw. Saw is the McDonald's of Grand Guignol. This is easily digestible, fast food, auteur, grotesque. And now I now it's, it's like it's like I can see for the first time. I get it now. <laughs> um, yes, I think that's that is honestly the perfect way of describing this, this franchise as McDonald's <laughs> Grand Guignol. <laughs> um, oh, but no, no. To, to really to really get our discourse train of going here, um, I want to talk about a little known company called the Urban Renewal Group. Yes, yes. Let let. Because, God bless them, the scriptwriters thought they would introduce more plot and backstory. <laughs> Which, and I am, I am so happy the direction they went. So John Kramer owns the Urban Renewal Group, or at least he's like a high-ranking member of it. Um, and they, they do what it says on the tin. Uh, they transform warehouse-like buildings into apartments and such. Uh, uh, there's also a suggestion in a piece of dialogue that he's responsible for um, building low-income housing as well. Oh, yep, yep. Uh, John Kramer is a gentrifier. <laughs> yes, and this is this is the thing where I'm like, oh my god. So the guy who has been going around killing people and, and being like, you don't appreciate your life, so you have to stick your head in a bucket of piranha fish to <laughs> learn to... <laughs> be a good Kmart employee or whatever, whatever nonsense he's up to now. He 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 is gentrifying neighborhoods. He is the source of rot and ruin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's like doing fucking redlining in his day job. And then when he goes to his torture lab at night, he, he's like, oh, so many people just don't care about their lives anymore. Yeah, who, who, who would have thought that a guy who takes the libertarian uh, capitalist and utilitarian philosophy of bootstrapping oneself uh, beyond the limits of circumstances would also be in real estate. Just how perfect is that? <laughs> it has such... Uh, this is, and this is the most like libertarian of all of the Saw films we've talked about so far. So, so, so far, oh my hey. God. It's, like, <laughs> it's infesting my brain. Um there's something about this one where like all of the dialogue is just so 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 much about like individualized choice and your own responsibility and you have to lift yourself up and be better than your circumstances and it's the most like just just generic generic interpretation of like randian politics but in this one like it doesn't stop you know like this is like a saw movie with like no traps in it so you're just sitting in this horrible saw discourse the entire time uh, yeah, and and it's like the only one, the only person in the Saw universe who seemingly has object permanence uh, <laughs> is, is the dead real estate developer. And and he has object permanence past his death. Oh oh my god, which oh my is god. It's, it's beautiful. My 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 favorite line, my favorite line in this entire film is uh, Hoffman playing the tape that Jigsaw has cut out of his own stomach and the tape says, you think it's over just because I'm dead? And it's like, (laughs) yes, yes, obviously. Because you're... And I'm like, what... Which, whichever of the, of the, 
original scriptwriters or the many people who helped on the rewrites, whoever saw that line, you think it's over just because I'm dead in the script and kept it in, God bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, it was a miraculous piece of dialogue in this movie. Um, because this film is the film is is desperate to keep Tobin Bell in it. Um, I, I, again, because Tobin Bell is is the most uh, charismatic and interesting actor in all of them. Uh, even though this film is trying to set up, um, a, it's, this is a very a very very mild spoiler, but like deal with it. <laughs> it's trying to it's it's trying to set up uh, Hoffman as the the heir to John Kramer's legacy as the 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 jigsaw killer. So what do you think about Mark Hoffman? Costas Mandalore. Um. <laughs> okay, um the other guy who looks just like okay. Okay, so here here is my take on um Costas Mandalore aka Mark Hoffman. And that's for the entire run of this movie. I did not know that he was different than Peter Strong, <laughs> played by Scott Patterson. I thought it was just like a disjointed time thing, and they were the same guy. <laughs> so if that's any indication on how the we're going to replace Tobin Bell plan goes, I am very excited. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited about Saw 5 now. <laughs> For the entire movie, I was like, oh, those guys look kind of different, but they have like the same characters. So it's just like a weird because the, 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 you know, like they've mashed it. Like, so this movie happens at the same time as Saw 3 is happening. And so this movie is it uses tons of footage from Saw 3. The plot of Saw 3 is alive and well in Saw 4. And I was just like, oh, this is like they're, they're, this is like a weird time jump thing. And he's changing outfits and it must be the lighting making them look. No. <laughs> In the end, they're two different guys, and I'm like, "Oh God!" Um, I will, I will, I will help you and all of the listeners keep them, keep them kind of straight in your head. So, um, uh, one is uh, Luke from Gilmore Girls, mm-hmm. uh, and the other uh, is a former professional soccer player. Um, so that should help. That should help keep things straight in your mind. Who is who? You know. If only they had those characters in the <laughs> Saw movie. If our if our protagonist and antagonist was a former pro soccer player and literally Luke from the Gilmore Girls, this movie would have been so much better. Uh, why? why? <laughs> it's just, it's so good. It's so, it's 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 so good, and it's only going to get weirder when we get into Saw Five. Should we should we talk about the continuing really weird cop stuff of the Saw franchise? Yes. We we need to, I think. <laughs> so what do you, what do you think? Okay, so um, for people who haven't seen it, the premise of this is that it is a ticking clock challenge. It turns out that the uh, deter- detective Eric Matthews, uh, played by Discount Mark Wahlberg in the second film, is actually alive, and the uh, SWAT commander, whose first instinct is to viciously beat terminal cancer patients, so they will say what you want them to. Um, has ninety minutes to find, uh, to 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 find his his friend who's been missing for six months. Um, what do you think about Lieutenant Rig, our SWAT commander and point of view character for much of this film? So I think this leads me into 
one, one of our other points that I think we can talk about simultaneously, and that's how did everyone in the Saw universe get infected with the rage virus? <laughs> um, everybody in this movie is ludicrously enraged perpetually. Like, no one in this movie has a damn ounce of sense. Like, barring the guy who literally sticks his face into a wall of knives... Everyone in this movie is literally sticking their face into a wall of knives at a moment's notice. And and Rig is 100% the same. Yeah. Like, J- Jigsaw gives him the least cryptic clue that anyone has ever gotten from Jigsaw. <laughs> and it's like, wh- wh- what does that mean? I, best, I, I better keep doing exactly the same thing, which has made what? everything go wrong. <laughs> so so J- Jigsaw, Jigsaw's little puppet clue is like, Hey, hey, buddy, you're like way too obsessed with these killings and it, it keeps getting you in trouble. You really need to unwind. You know, work, work, work is kind of taken over your work life balance. It's it's out of whack, pal. Breathe. Enjoy your family. Take a day off. And people will live if you do that. And instead of doing that, uh, he, he goes on a ballistic murdering spree. Yeah. Um, that leads him to kill a bunch of his friends. Uh, so everyone in the Saw universe is apparently like perpetually just just chomping at the bit to to become Jigsaw. Uh, what's great is that like uh, the little tapes just sound increasingly more like annoyed that he's not mm-hmm. getting getting it. And it's like, hey, maybe you should. Uh, hang out with your wife hey hey maybe <laughs> maybe this constant obsession obsession with uh you know doing police crime it's not it's not great and he all he's all but told um so the big the big quote-unquote twist is that if he had simply waits if he waits until the timer counts down to zero uh eric matthews is going to be released he's going to get to go uh, everybody lives. Everybody All lives. Thirty people he murders on the way to murder his friends would have not been murdered. Uh, but with a second to go, he immediately charges through the door, which results in the frankly incredible shot of Donnie Wahlberg having his head smashed into pulp by two enormous blocks of ice. <laughs> and that that truly was a beautiful moment. And, and you watch that, and you go, ah, cinema. <laughs> yes yes we we, we watched that and i'm like ah kaufman-esque and so the whole point is like rig isn't even good at his job on his own terms i I was gonna say like i think i think this extends more broadly like no one in the entire saw universe like like they're, they're not even human you know like no like they're so enraged constantly no one is like even for a split second like the oh my god the oh my god the, the, so there are two dudes at the beginning of this movie. One has his eyes shown shut, and the other has his mouth shown shut. Uh, they're both chained by the neck into like I don't know some saw murdering machine. Who cares? <laughs> into into uh, the neck grinder six thousand. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're chained into the neck breaker. Who will get them? Um, <laughs> but like. So the guy who has his eyes sewn shut has a key at the back of his neck on his little collar that will free them both. Um, and so 
you know, like I get it. They're scared. It's a, you know, you don't expect to wake up and have your eyes or your mouth sewn shut. That's pretty weird. But like guy with his mouth sewn shut is incapable of even kind of trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. And guy with his eyes sewn shut, instead of hearing the sound of someone trying to talk with their mouth sewn shut, which you could still reasonably accomplish. Um, instead of assuming that that was like a person who might be in a similar situation or something, starts throwing axes at him, axes that are just kind of there. <laughs> like, well, a, like a bad video game boss. Yeah, well, everyone knows that the Neckbreaker 6000, unlike the 5000, <laughs> uh, comes comes with a set of throwing axes. And, and really, I mean, like, if, if you're in the, the automated Neckbreaker, you know, scene, you really want to rate for the Neckbreaker 7000 because that one has the app and the Bluetooth connectivity. It's just yeah. so much better. I mean, the 6000 is retro. <laughs> it, it does have that appeal, right? It is a big rusty machine that does something when you get too close to it, I guess. <laughs> um, but like, no, like for me, this whole scene is like, this is the problem. This is this is the thing in the Saw movies, right? It works when it's like one person and they're trapped in a big fucking, I don't know, box that turns you into confetti after 20 minutes and they have to do something spoopy to get out. It stops working when you have 38 people and each one of them has a puzzle piece and they can get out if they put the puzzle together or if they don't, they all explode. Mm -hmm. And in order for them to not put the puzzle together, they all have to just be like ready to murder and not just ready to murder, but they want it. You know, like, this guy just starts throwing axes for... And then they just beat the hell out of each other? Cuz? I actually think... I actually think this brings up a really... A kind of really important question that I want us to sort of think about before we start wrapping up, which is... This this movie... This movie is bad. (laughs) This is... This is a bad... This is a bad... Badly made... And badly written movie. However, this movie made over a hundred million dollars um and given given what you've just said you know it shows it shows unlikable people doing unlikable things for bad reasons why did it make a hundred million dollars what's what's going on there again i i believe we must return to my saw franchise our feel-good movies comment from a previous saw episode uh, I think part of the thing that's going on here is that like that reaction that I have where I'm just like, you, f- you, you knuckleheads. Come on, guys. Like one of you has a key taped to their forehead. The other you has a lock in your hand. Let's let's maybe talk for a second. This is like th- th- this is like a classic phenomenon in horror, right? You know, the teens are like, Bobby, I bet you're not cool enough to go into old man murder's mansion of death. <laughs> you know and it's just like okay we know what's gonna happen but this is like that taken to like this hideous indulgent extreme you know all of these people could live some when they're in these group situations if they just like shut up for a second and you know did some teamwork for the dream work but like the fact that i am like so livid about this i'm so frustrated and annoyed it's, it's like Saw is actively making me into one of these Saw trap protagonists. And I think that's it's speaking to something about human frustration. We get frustrated watching other people being frustrated. And it, the, these, these movies are like, they're, 
they're an orgone generator, but instead of orgone energy, it's just raw human frustration. I actually think this is really true. And this is like, if you take these films seriously, you will become one of those people. Like if you take them, if you take them seriously, I think it's almost now in with the benefit of hindsight, I think it's almost impossible to take them seriously. And it makes the kind of moral panicking about them at the time look deeply silly. Um, but it's like, there is a bit of them that appeals to the sort of like dark libidinal, uh, you know, hind brain where you go, yeah, let's see, let's see these, let's see these, let's see these fools suffer because I'm, I've been made so angry by their irrational behavior. Tuvok of Vulcan would have escaped all of these traps in like four <laughs> seconds flat. <laughs> Oh, oh, beautiful, beautiful saw. Uh, you know, another, another thing that I'd like to bring up is that, like, you know, there's, there's of course, the classic commentary that the Saw films are just kind of more more gory, uh, less interesting seven. And this movie does it. This movie sticks the landing and gives us the most rushed what's in the box gag. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's so it's so lazy and it's so quick and it doesn't work. Do you want to explain it? Yeah, so Rig, um, in his quest to kill literally everyone he can before he gets the chance to kill his friends, is uh, trying to kill a hotel owner who is also a sex criminal. Um, and he finds a box, and it's got some hair sticking out of the side of it. And, oh my god, it's, it's his wife. That's what you'd be like. No, but it's just a pig mask. Yeah. And, and the whole scene is rushed. It's over in, like not even half a minute you don't even get him screaming what's in the box once which is really disappointing yep absolutely it's it's so it's so kind of tiresome it's 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 like oh i get it but you didn't you didn't commit right because the thing the thing that tension requires is a little bit of patience right uh what is it hitchcock says you know a, a bomb is not scary. A bomb under a table, you pan up and people are having dinner. That's scary. Because you, you can generate tension the longer that conversation goes on. So it's like, if you're going to generate tension, what you need is maybe, I don't know, a camera shot that lasts longer than 0. 0.3 seconds. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I think like like this, this gets us on to like, kind of like the affective quality of film, right? And like a little discussion about you know, audience participation and affect theory and all of that, because like, I, I would argue that there is absolutely no tension in Saw 4. The, the, this movie has negative tension. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, if you see, because you assumably or presumably you would have already seen Saw 3, right? So you know that dude is going to rush into the room and all of his friends are going to blow up and he's going to totally fail. Uh, so it's it's a bit undone. And then in Tra, the movie itself, it doesn't have the patience necessary to create tension. Mm-hmm. But what it can do is frustrate you eternally. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's deeply... It's just annoying. It's just an annoying movie. So I do I do have one slightly philosophical question to ask you as, as we exit uh, Saw Trap Left. How do we justify anything? So the, the kind of primary philosophical concern of Saw 4 is how we, if, if it is said to have such a thing, is how we justify our actions. 
-hmm. how we justify the steps we take to arrive at any particular space. And we see throughout this movie that Rig has decided to fully commit to, to the folly of his character. And despite Jigsaw literally saying, all you have to do is sit down for 90 minutes and everyone lives. Please sit down. I brought you a chair. And Rig ignoring <laughs> that entirely. And then you have uh, uh, Hoffman and or Strom, the character that's the same. They're, they're like borderline beating Jigsaw's wife. Like Jigsaw's ex-wife is being interrogated by Hoffman slash Strom. The interrogation becomes like increasingly inhumane, increasingly hostile, increasingly police brutality, right? And, and you see him shedding all of his... Uh, you know, ethics and morality in this justification of I'm going to stop Jigsaw, but in order to stop Jigsaw, I need to jettison my own humanity in the process. So there are two, there are two sort of like broad schools of thought here in this film, and both uh, which represent a, a kind of false choice, I think, to answer your question. So yes, first, firstly, you're right, there's this kind of libertarian Whatever it takes to get the end that I want is completely justified. And that is exactly what people like uh, Peter Strom and Rig and Jigsaw all have in common. The other, the other choice, the other mode of justification is like a, a slightly um, underthought or under kind of under fleshed out um, philanthropic charity which is john's wife jill who runs this clinic for people with substance abuse problems where she says i just wanted to help them uh and john says you can't help them they have to help themselves so there's your choices you can either help people or you can force them to bootstrap themselves up uh or how do we justify things perhaps there is a third option perhaps there might be a materialist and political option of of uh, the because that's those aren't the only options. That's what the film wants you to think. That ethics, moral behavior towards one another has to be filtered through those two choices. But maybe there's a third option. Who knows? I I am here for so so. Te- te- I was looking into this, and technically, Spiral is not Saw Nine. Okay. Um, Spiral, according to Darren Lynn Bowsman, exists out of the kind of primary Saw canon, even if it's only slightly out of sync. Um, but I'm here for Saw 9, which is a systemic analysis of the cultural, like like Saw, Saw 9 colon historical jigsaw Marxism is going to be fantastic. Um, and obviously, Tobin Bell, uh, by that point, would be enjoying a well-earned retirement. So we would just get Slavo Zizek. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that would be absolutely beautiful. A perfect's guide to saw. <laughs> well, with that with that said, uh, we hope you enjoyed our mini episode on Saw 4. We will be back next week in our continuing discussion of Saw 5. Uh, we look forward to lashing you down to a chair and forcing you to slowly peel your way through discourse in order to prove that you... I, I don't know, didn't didn't uh, take for granted that time your grandmother gave you an extra piece of candy when you were five. <laughs>
Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>